Um, we're a rejoicing people. We're people that love to go through uh, this book, which is the Bible. We believe it is the inspired word of God. It is the literal word of God. We believe that when we read the scriptures that God is speaking, and so uh, it's a delight to go through it. So what we do is we usually uh, take and kind of chart through books of the Bible and teach them kind of line by line, verse by verse, and here's why we do that. Here's why we love to pick up the Bible and uh, take time going through it. Like we've been in the Gospel of Luke for about two years now. We're going to finish on Easter, uh, and if so you're like, just yeah, some of you guys are like, finally, Pastor Mike's finished. Finishing. I know you guys want to keep going, uh, but we do it because we want, as best we're able, you to see every verse in the Bible and deal with it. Um, it doesn't do us any good to just erase verses or skip verses or white out verses, thinking that somehow we'll find a fullness of life in our ideas and not God's ideas. So let's just go with what God has already revealed in his written word and trust it and let it bear weight on our souls and more let the text read us than we read it. Amen. So that's our, that's our hope together. Um, just to recap, this past weekend we had our first ever anything that we've held or done. So we had our, our women's conference. It was phenomenal. And yeah, the ladies are happy. The dudes aren't because you had to babysit all weekend. But um, it was a phenomenal weekend. Patty Peretti just taught the word. And uh, I know I've already been hearing so much. Uh, from not just the sheer number of ladies that attended, but uh, the fruit that God is producing. So we praise God for that. It's awesome. It's awesome. So um, here's what I want to do. I want to briefly give you an opportunity just to uh, take a moment before the Lord, because here's what we're going to consistently lay before you, and that's that uh, none of us are the active agent in this whole thing. So uh, none of us can produce fruit. None of us can make you understand truth. None of us can uh, regenerate the heart or change lives or do any of that. And so we constantly want to appeal to the God who gave life and author's life and author's salvation to do what only he can do. So let's just take a moment. I'd love for you um, just to ask God whether you are a seeker, whether you're a believer, regardless of where you fall uh, this morning, uh, maybe it's just simply God reveal yourself to me. Uh, and if you are a Christian who walks in the grace of God and the cross of Christ, um, you need to beg him to illuminate your eyes and give you understanding to his word. So let's take a moment just to do that. Father, we are appealing to you in this moment, acknowledging that apart from you, we can literally do nothing. That God, nothing spiritual can happen in the following minutes unless you decide to work. So God, we ask the Holy Spirit of God to do something profound in the life and minds of us. Father, would you save some today? Would you work in those who are yours? And would you bring more into the great family and kingdom of God? as we hear and as we see and remember the gracious, awesome, sovereign work of your son in his cross, in his life, in his resurrection. Father, speak, use this time for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, well, uh, we're going to start in uh, chapter 20. We're in Luke chapter 20. If you have a Bible, open it up. Um, there's also Bibles out in the hallway. Please grab one if you don't own a Bible. We, we'd love for you to take that. It's our gift to you. And here's, here's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to roll probably to 21 verse 19. And here's what, what basically is happening is you have consistently, as Jesus has been teaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God, that there is a perfect kingdom with a perfect king and only those who can be a part of this kingdom are those who are perfect. So we're confronted immediately with the reality that none of us by 
nature and choice are perfect. We've all sinned. We've all belittled the name of God. And so we live in what's called this, this in-between stage of the reconciliation of God and the consummation of all things. So here's what you're going to over and over see again with the disciples is they don't get that. The people who follow Jesus, who love Jesus, who want Jesus, they consistently don't understand the difference there. They thought when Jesus came, he was going to be crowned king of kings, lord of lords. The kingdom was going to be ushered in, a kingdom that never ends, and then all of a sudden everything would be great. They thought the new Jerusalem, new heavens was ready as Jesus rides in on the colt for Passion Week. And so what we've learned is that, no, Jesus is about to inaugurate the reconciliation of people back to God himself, making men's with God from the fracture of Genesis 3 through the work of his son. So forgiveness of sin is, is imminent, but his second return when the consummation happens, when the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, all of that happens is later. And so they're constantly confusing these two things. So Jesus here is going to show us, hey, here's what's going to happen in between the, the age of reconciliation and consummation. Okay, this is, this is what you're going to experience, this is what you're going to see, and where we pick up, it's Wednesday afternoon of Passion Week, that means he's about 24 hours from his arrest, he's about 48 hours from uh, his death on the cross. On Monday, we saw him enter the city, on Tuesday, he wiped out the temple, he cleansed it. On Wednesday, he's been teaching in the temple area, and we said the last two weeks, it's just what's known as the day of questions. He's just been pelted over and over again by questions from the religious establishment, trying to catch him in something so that they can arrest him, and therefore execute him. Um, but of course, as Jesus does, because he's God, because he's perfect, he thwarts every question perfectly, and then uh, we're narrowing it down here to where now there's not going to be any, any more invitations to follow Jesus. Uh, there's no more extensions of mercy. It's done. He's heading, he's warning, and he's going to usher in salvation and forgiveness of sin. Look at verse 45. Here's what Luke writes. And in the hearing of all the people, he said to the disciples, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. All right, so here, here's what's happening. Jesus is basically just closing the book on the religious elite. Listen, he has warned, he has pleaded, he has taught, he has con- had showed grave concern for them. He's going, hey, they're not going to listen anymore. These are people who are much more concerned and absorbed with their own wants and their own desires and their own glories and not the glory of me, God in the flesh and what I will do. And so they've made up this system where you have to, to basically purchase heaven, purchase uh, you know, righteousness through the works that you do. And so Jesus, we've seen him, the whole book of Luke, man, if you've been a sleep. Other than that, you can't miss that Jesus has been aggressively going after these guys saying, hey, it's not about your righteousness. It's about the righteousness that Jesus gives you. It's not about your works and merits. It's about what God does by himself. He's the author of salvation. You're not. And so you see him basically close the book and say, hey, listen, just beware of these guys. We talked about their self-righteousness. We talked about the ways they want to be appeased and they want to be seen and all these different things. Hey, I'm headed to the cross. That's where it's going to be finished. So watch out for these people who could lead you astray. And so He's showing them that, hey, I've already warned them, I've shared, they refused me, so their condemnation's coming. I'm not giving any more options for mercy. They've turned their back on me as God. And these honors that Jesus is talking about, just so you know, were outlandish. I mean, we've been discussing them at length, but I mean, you can read historical accounts where if a rabbi was walking to a synagogue and he wasn't greeted as master, he would grieve the whole day. Listen, if you don't call me pastor, I'm cool. Right? Like, I'm not going to go just mourn in in ashes in my office if you don't say Pastor Mike, right? So so this is just unbelievable narcissism to the highest degree. 
right? They even believed that they were above their parents. So if you were in trouble, you believed that the rabbi was above the parents. So you better help the rabbi before you help the parents. They also thought they deserved more respect than parents because, hey, yeah, parents brought you into this world, but we give you knowledge for the world to come. There was just arrogance that was permeating their hearts and minds and the stuff that they taught. These men were deeply, deeply self-righteous and arrogant. And it says, Jesus says, they also devoured widows' houses. We saw that two weeks ago in the money changers in the temple, how they just robbed and extorted the poor to build up their religious system. We saw how that just nauseated Jesus. Uh, That just gave him great grief and great anger. So Jesus is always going to condemn the man who uses his position of power and trust to further his own ends and cater to his own comfort. Uh, we, We see that on the evangelical landscape some, right? with some of the televangelists, let's just call it what it is, right? I mean, to cater to your own comforts, they put in a position of authority and power and trust and they will receive great condemnation for the ways that they use or abuse the word of God. And so here we see Jesus just go after him. And this is how it connects to chapter 21, verse one. Jesus looks up and he saw the rich putting their gifts in the offering box and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins and he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Okay, I want everyone to stop at this point and realize this is a phenomenal opportunity to learn good Bible study. Because here's the deal. I'm sure that probably half the room has heard this text preached, and it's strictly a giving sermon. Right? Man, you got to just give everything to Jesus, and it's all about the heart. We could extract all those principles. This has nothing to do with giving has nothing to do with, 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 with money. I mean, it's, I mean, here's the thing. When you read the Bible, okay, you always got to just look at how it flows. This is why we love teaching through the Bible, so you can see what the Bible is saying, what God's laying out, the heart of Jesus, the heart of our souls, what they should, should grow in. So, so here in this place, if you just follow the course of conversation, it's in the negative. There's no way. This is Jesus stopping, going, hey, by the way, uh, hey, get your tithe in. If you actually read this and see all of this, you can follow from verse 45 before this and on. The theme is judgment. There's no gospel invitations. There's no more clarifications to the crowds and leaders. He's finished. So just walk down your headings, right? I started reading from verse, you got 45, but where are the scribes and Pharisees? Then you start in verse five following this. Hey, Jerusalem's gonna be laid to ruins. Then you got judgments coming. Then you got sins gonna abound. Disasters are gonna be held. Okay, so this is in the middle of tons of judgment. This is not Jesus going, but where are the scribes and Pharisees who use their own fame for their own glory? And then, by the way, this place you see, this ornate temple, it's going to be laid to waste. By the way, disasters are going to come. By the way, sin's going to ensue. By the way, persecution's going to ramp up. And hey, by the way, see that widow? Hey, get your stuff in the offering box before all that happens. (laughs) That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is just validating the very thing that he just said. He said, they devour widows' houses. And he's grieved as he sees a widow give all that she had to profit a religious system that would ultimately damn her. We get a window into Jesus's reflection. He just looks up as he just said, hey, by the way, remember that they just devour widows, remember they extort the poor, remember how they abuse people for their own gain? Look at that widow. She just gave every bit that she had and is gonna be more poor for it, not more wealthy, not better off. She's buying the lie of the religious who would say, hey, uh, bring your alms so you can purchase heaven. There were many things this woman may have thought of. 
But Jesus is just further validating the accusation and the condemnation of the religious elite. He's just showing that this is what is going to happen. And so he's revealing this and showing what he has warned of. And this is why the scriptures will constantly show so much concern to care for the widows and the orphan, right? So that's, that's what true religion is. That's what pure, undefiled religion is. So you're going to see plenty of texts. Why we have a benevolence fund here is so that we can, we can hopefully care for those in need. Not, not ask them to give more, but to say, hey, how can we graciously benefit you as the generous people of God because we've been given Jesus. So here you've got Jesus saying, beware the scribes and Pharisees. He looks up, sees a widow, give all she has this religious system that she thinks is going to save her, but it's really going to damn her. And then he overhears people talking about how beautiful temple is going, oh my gosh, look how beautiful this is. And Jesus is going to say, by the way, this temple you're looking at, it's going to be burned to the ground. Look at verse five. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, when will these things be, and what will be the signs when we see these things that are about to take place? So Jesus has already foretold the destruction of the temple. Here he says it again. Now just in case you're calling Jesus a liar, this happens 40 years later in 70 AD. Rome comes in, lays it to waste, and then you've got the the rebuilding of it again, which it's still being rebuilt. It's not fully finished. Right now it's uh, overcome the temple mount by Muslim and and Islam. So uh, you've got just that that happening. But here Jesus is foretelling the destruction of the temple that's going to come in about 40 years from when he says this. Now most of us do not get the gravity of the statement from Jesus. Most of us have no clue what this meant to the people of God when Jesus says this. I mean, the temple was their place of hope. Like, it was where they came to be near the presence of God. It was where God dwelt with man. They had the holy of holies. It's where they would go meet with the priests and offer sacrifices for forgiveness of sin. It's where they would meet with God and commune with God. And they had their mediator. And it was a precious place. It was a weighty place. It was a beautiful place. You cannot overemphasize the temple for the people of God at this point in human history. So Jesus, when he says this, man, it's terrifying to them. It creates unbelievable anxiety, unbelievable fear, and here you have Jesus foretell that this temple that they love, that is their hope, it's going to be destroyed. Now, um, when Jesus says this, a massive rebuilding effort had already happened in the Herodian period by under King Herod, so, so it had already been destroyed once, it had re- been rebuilt, and it was beautiful. I mean, golden gates, luxury, marble stones. I remember when I was in Israel, the chance to go underground underneath the ruins, and you saw these massive, massive stones that were like the size of a, of a train car weighing 100 tons. Some were made out of sheer marble. I mean, just unbelievable. Took your breath away to just look at them. And here we have Jesus saying, the stones are going to be laid down one upon the next. And he's just coming along condemning the entire religious system, declaring that this temple will no longer be needed. The priest not going to be needed. The sacrifice is not going to be needed. Why? Because Jesus is your high priest now. Because he is going to be your sacrifice. Because he is going to be your temple. You're not going to need it anymore. He's foreshadowing some beautiful, beautiful things about what he will usher in. So listen, as he says this, naturally the disciples are like, well, that's kind of a big deal, so when's this going to happen? Like, like, can you give us some signs to know like when this, is go- this destruction is going to take place? Because remember, the disciples are totally fooled with reconciliation and consummation. They, they think that consummation's happening. They think the second return of Christ, those events are about to take place. 
And so Jesus is going to answer them and show them that it will soon be destroyed, but also his final return will not be for a good while. Verse 8, and he said, see that you're not led astray. For many will come in in my name saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end, that means his second return, will not be at once. So Jesus says the temple will soon be destroyed. That happens 40 years from now. And Jesus goes, by the way, false teachers will come in before this and continue until I return again, but my return is not going to happen for a good while. Now, now the, the disciples thought, okay, maybe that means a couple months. Now, we know it's been 2,000 years, over 2,000 years, right? Jesus still has not returned again, but we trust in the return of Christ. And Jesus says, hey, this stuff's going to happen post and bef- this stuff's going to happen before the destruction of the temple, and it's going to happen until I return again. These people that come along going, they're going to name two things. Uh, I'm Jesus, and the end's at hand. Those are the two things these people are going to do. And he's saying many are going to come saying that they're the Messiah. You know, uh, Josephus, um, an early first century uh, Jewish historian, he said that so many people were claiming to be the Messiah after Jesus rose that Pilate was offing like one a day. He was killing like one a day of these people that were saying, yeah, I'm him. And it still goes on today, does it not? Are we not seeing this in our day and age? Jesus says they will claim to know the end of the world and they'll claim that they are Jesus. You've got uh, Joseph Smith who founded Mormonism. He claimed the end would be at the end of his life. Well, we're still here. Uh, You've got Ellen White with Seventh-day Adventists uh, multiple times saying the end is gonna happen and we're still here. Uh, you got the, the people in 2012, the Mayan calendar, they're making Hollywood's making movies out of it. Oh my gosh, the end of the world's happening. We're still here. You have Jehovah's Witnesses, they predicted, I think, back in 1914 that it was going to be the end of all things, and we're still here. (laughs) So Jesus is saying, this is nothing new. Everybody's going to show up going, hey, I'm the Messiah. Hey, the end's going to come. No, trust what I say. The Bible says be ready. The Bible says live your life in such a way that it could come at any hour. You don't know when. No one can foretell the times and seasons. Jesus governs that. God governs that. But live in such a way that you know that it will happen. Like, that's a, does that affect your day? Does that affect your decisions? Does that, that affect your life right now? Knowing that these things will happen. So Jesus says, don't be led into fear when someone comes along and says, the end is now or I am he. There's one savior, his name is Jesus. There's one person who governs the times and authorities of all things, his name is Jesus. Know him, be found in him. So when times get difficult, you don't run to false gods, you run to the true God. Right, you know how many um, ministries are built off of fear-mongering? <laughs> I mean, trying to get people to give and do stuff just, just by debilitating them in their anxiety and their fear? You know, one of the reasons this is huge is because people knew at this time, the religious system knew, as soon as the temple was laid to waste, the people of God's anxiety would grow tremendously and they could extort them and abuse them and use their fear to their advantage. So Jesus is saying, I'm not telling you these things so that you're crippled by fear. I'm telling you these things so that you're ready and so that you're secure because you have Jesus. Now, what Jesus will say next happened in his day, it happens in our day, and it's going to keep happening till the last day. Verse 10. Then he said, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Then there will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. 
So Jesus says, hey, what, what's coming now and what will come until the end of the age is sin's only going to increase. Governments are only going to fight. Wars are only going to be waged. Natural disasters are only going to ensue. Those things are going to happen. This is echoes of Romans 8, that actual creation, right, is groaning within itself, just longing for the restoration of God so that even creation can worship the creator God of the Bible, right? So just like the people of God long for his return, so does creation. And because of the fracture of the fall in Genesis 3, we have tsunamis, we have earthquakes, we have all these disasters that were never God intended but Jesus was sent to make all things new, and he's declaring that to these people. Man, I'm gonna make all this new, though. I'm gonna do fully away with injustice and famine and sword and pestilence and everything in the new Jerusalem and the new earth, but until then, you're gonna see these things. You're gonna experience these things. And Jesus says they're gonna lay their hands on you and persecute you and bring you before the rulers and kings. This was one of the biggest surprises to the disciples. Because they think, okay, cool, the Messiah is here. He's going to usher in his kingdom. Everything's going to be great for us. And you just said, I'm the Messiah, I'm here, and it's going to go bad for us. <laughs> and this is talking much about the Jewish persecution that was vicious until about 70 AD when Rome destroyed the temple. Then you have Gentile persecution after that where they brought people before kings and rulers and authorities. All of this happened. I mean, hundreds of thousands of martyrs and it still happens today. Where Christians are killed by the thousands, we're just protected in our Western bubble. Where people die for claiming allegiance to Jesus. Where people who walk and want to open their Bible can be beheaded in the street. Yeah, we walk in and we get our Bible opened up, we don't even want to touch it during the week. And, and here Jesus has shown us that man, this is, this is something that will happen and will come. So the question becomes from the disciples as they're hearing all of this, <laughs> well, what are we going to do, Jesus? <laughs> right? I mean, if you're these guys hearing this, and a good thing about scripture interpretation is you got to first always hear what he's saying to the initial audience and let it reverberate out. Okay, so it's first absolutely to these disciples going, okay, well, what do we do? I mean, you're telling me that, that famine's going to ensue and pestilences and tsunamis and earthquakes and we're going to be persecuted. Some of us are going to be put to death. I mean, terrorist attacks are going to happen. I mean, what do we do? And it's amazing what Jesus says. Verse 13, underline this. This will be your opportunity. <laughs> Hold on. Your utter calamity, your utter tragedy won't be your disaster. It'll be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up to, every, to even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Incredible. If you're looking for hope and encouragement, if you're putting yourself in the disciples' shoes and you're going, okay, yeah, I see this in my world, I feel this in my immediate influence, the moment I started wanting to follow Jesus, the moment he was my allegiance, the moment he was God, the moment you actually started taking Christianity seriously, everything started to fall out from under you. 
And he goes, hold on, this is your opportunity. This is, your, this, is, this is great. This produces and opens up an opportunity that you would not have had before to bear witness. Now, in first sense, we know that God ordained the persecution of the church to even scatter the church and advance the gospel. We just read Acts. Persecution comes, so they all flee, so the gospel goes to other nations. In other countries, it's happening because of the persecution of the saints. So as the world screams out for help, hope, answers, Jesus says, you give them me. That's what you tell them. As the world screams out better government, we say Jesus. As the world screams out for gun control, we say Jesus. As the world screams out for better financial planning, we say Jesus, right? He's the one who rules and reigns. He's the one with authority. He's the one who has a kingdom that will never end. He's the only one that will push back and fully do away with injustice and famine and sword and all the things that we want to live in a world that's designed to be and how our hearts want it to be. He will one day do that. But right now, we give opportunity in those spaces to say, we have an answer for you. We bear witness to the God who came and died and rose and gifts his Holy Spirit. We, we tell our neighbors, we tell our coworkers, we tell our friends, we tell our families. Even if they don't listen or reject that, it's an opportunity in our calamity to say, hey, here's who I am in Jesus. Here's who he says. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what eternity looks like. It's opportunity to bear witness now. As all of these things flood us, all the imperfections that were never as God wanted Yet Jesus comes and makes all these things new. So when you're faced with difficulty, hardship, suffering, Jesus says the question becomes not, God, where are you? God, are you with me? God, are you good? The question becomes, hey, how can I use this as an opportunity to know Jesus, to lean into him, to share in his sufferings, to make the gospel known? What a, what a different perspective from Jesus. Jesus that we view it as how can we push the kingdom of God forward, not hibernate in our insecurity, but stand secure because we have Jesus and we know our end. And so Jesus is comforting his disciples. He's encouraging them. So Jesus says, tragedy, hardship, suffering, it won't only be around you, it'll be towards you. Now, this type of persecution we face in the West is much different from the rest of the world. Um, in most, you die by the sword. Uh, here, you're just abandoned, right? Not gonna talk to you, you're fired, right? Don't, I'm not gonna listen, I mean, listen. The, the persecution you and I face is nothing compared to what brothers and sisters and saints in the faith of the kingdom of God deal with on a day-to-day basis. Their heads are on the line. Reading the Bible's a death sentence. Man, these words from Jesus, I bet you when they read Luke 21, they are massively encouraged in ways that we will never understand. That's why why I talk about Voice of the Martyrs all the time, why I love to read that magazine, because it gives me perspective in my trivial hardship. I mean, when, I, when I read about Christians in Nigeria and I read about missionaries in the Sudan and I read about people that are aggressively going after the kingdom of God in other places, I'm going, hold on a second. My buddy said he's not going to call me anymore. He's going to delete my Facebook. Like seriously? Like I'm going to wallow over that? I mean, come on. Now, now listen to me. Uh, some of you, it might be because you're a jerk. Now, that, that's not the persecution we're talking about. Okay, I want to make sure that's, that's super clear because I've met with people. I'm like, I don't, I don't understand, man. Everyone around me just hates me. Well, 
you're kind of just a jerk. Like, that's kind of why people hate you. I mean, it's not because you're winsome. It's not because you're loving. It's not because you love the kingdom of God. You just love to be right or you just love to prove your point. So let, let's, let's, you know, kind of work on that. But you, you, don't, you don't invite persecution because of you. This is what Paul consistently said in the Bible. I became all things to all men by so that all possible means I might save some. And he would always say, if it's because of the gospel or the offense of the truth, that's okay. But if it's because of me, that's not okay. And so Jesus is showing us that some of you in those moments, you start getting serious with Jesus, and you know this. Your family, your friends, your relatives right away lash out, think you're a nut. Because persecution is not just dying for the cause of Christ. It's living for the cause of Christ. Both are hard. So, so most of us, let me just be clear, here in the West, we're going we're gonna to per- be persecuted living for the cause of Christ, not dying for the cause of Christ. So in our living for the cause of Christ, do we have a perspective? Because Jesus says these things not to frighten us, but secure us. Don't be surprised when this happens. Don't be surprised when your family thinks you're loony. Don't be surprised when your boss says you're nuts or to shut your mouth or whatever. Don't be surprised when governments make decisions that are not what you would say are glorifying God. Don't be surprised when people do things and get behind movements that are not God. Don't be surprised at that. Don't be surprised when your own good friends attack you in ways that are not glorified to God. He says, this is not to be surprised. Listen, you start living for the name and renown of Jesus, I promise you that the minute you start taking this seriously, just watch out. Because it should be concerned that none of you are facing anything. Like if there's no rub anywhere in your life with anybody, have you become just like the world? Are you nice and comfortable because nobody kind of engages you or has to say something to you or... Are you a living aroma of Christ, as Paul called it? You know, I was trying to think of a, an example. And I thought of a time, I think I may have shared this before. If you look at me, I'm very short, right? So somebody in the back row are like, I, still, I can't even see him. We tried to make the stage, I asked for a higher stage just so people could see me, but we got two feet. So, so here's the deal. You, the worst sport in my life is basketball. Right? It always has been. My vertical's negative. I actually go down when I jump. So, so here is, here's what happened. A number of years ago, all of our college roommates got together, and we had this, you know, everybody wants to do some big cool thing. So like, hey, let's all have a basketball game reunion. I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Why, why don't we sit around and talk and like eat crumpets and, and drink, you know, tea or I don't know. Let's do something that's like encouraging. So here we are and we're playing basketball game. And I know, look, I'm the loser in kickball in seventh grade is going to get picked last. So I'm, I'm standing there and they're going around, you know, picking their teams and sure enough, all right, I'll take Reed, right? Because <laughs> they, they know that I'm awful. So, so we start playing, and I'm on the bench, of course, right? Now, now the team is like dying because they don't want to dare let me in, right? Even for like a, a water break. So, so I'm the only sub, and I'm sitting there, and they're just, they're just doing their thing, exhausting themselves, and eventually I can see it in my buddy Nate's eyes. He's like, Reed, you got to step in for me. I'm like, all right, here's my shot. So, so I get in. Listen, to this day, I do, know what, do not know what happened other than the, the sovereign grace of God. <laughs> I literally, every shot I put up, went in. Like, it was insane. I was literally like, 
I mean, it just dunk. I mean, to where all of a sudden the whole, the whole, the other team's going, man, we need to, we need to press against Mike. I start getting double teamed, triple teamed, right? Everyone's like, man, guard Reed, he's draining threes, right? Like, like that never happens to me. All of a sudden I'm making advance. I'm, I'm aggressively pushing back the kingdom of darkness, right? Of, of that team. And they're just flooding me. Here's the thing. Listen, this was a beautiful picture of what happens. Man, when you feel the assault, when you feel intensity rising, count it as a good thing because you're doing something. Like if you're just sitting on the bench as a Christian, like never engaging, never walking, Jesus isn't saying that to you. He's saying it to Christians. See, it's people that, that, that believe the gospel and aggressively want to wage war against sin and want to fight for holiness. He's saying, hey, you start doing that, the pressure's going to increase, but don't be surprised by that. Actually be encouraged by that because you're doing something. You can take the assault. You can take the blame because all of a sudden you are stepping into something where there is great authority, great joy than just sitting casually watching everybody else. And I'm saying, listen, when you feel those things, when you experience those things, when those things ensue on your heart and people aggressively come at you, he says, rejoice. Because they don't hate you, they hate me. And rejoice that you're partaking in the king of creation's persecution. That the team you're on will surely win and has won. And so absolutely, you start living for Jesus, yes, you're going to expect and you should see and feel the pressure. But don't cower in those moments. Don't fall back. Don't run back to the bench. Man, press into that for the glory of God and good of your soul. Say, Jesus, you said this was gonna happen. Of course it's gonna happen. I shouldn't be surprised by this. And I should welcome it because it means I'm named with you. It means I got the marks of you. It means I look like you. I love how Jesus says in this text. (laughs) And don't sit around either in fear wondering what you're gonna say or how you're gonna react. (laughs) I'm with you. Oh, God, you reminds me of Moses, right? He's like, hey, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. He goes, I stutter, though. My mouth, I have a speech impediment. And God goes, don't worry, I'll be your mouth, Moses. Don't worry about what you're going to say. This kicks back to chapter 12 when Jesus was, gave that whole long encouragement on fear and anxiety. And he says, hey, don't fear what you will say when you stand before governors and authorities. The Holy Spirit will teach you in that moment what you should say. Testimony you have straight from the lips of Jesus is you don't have to worry. Brothers and sisters, you don't have to worry what will happen when you are persecuted or when your life is at stake. You don't have to worry about what you'll say. You don't have to worry about how you'll react. You don't have to worry about the times that are coming where you stand for Christ. You don't have to worry about that because from the lips of Jesus, he says, he will uphold your profession through the darkest nights of your soul. The Holy Spirit of God will enable you to endure. He'll teach you in that moment what to say. And this is why Jesus adds this rich encouragement. Not a hair on your head will perish, but by your endurance, you will gain your lives. Now, he's not actually talking about your hair. It's just a common proverb, right? By the skin of your teeth, you made it by the hair on your head. Um, This was in Acts 27 when Paul was sailing on a ship to Rome and they hit a storm. He used the same phrase. You're going to make it by the hair on your head. So here's here's what Jesus is doing. He's giving them big picture. 
all who have trusted in the ransoming work of Jesus Christ on the cross for your sin, you're gonna survive. Maybe not physically, but eternally. Every single Christian survives. Right, because we have to see full span of time, not here, out of the mother's womb, back to dust. We have to see in the span, every Christian of every tribe, tongue, nation survives. And survives in glory. Right, the persecution that comes, the, what can they do? Kill me? Okay, I'll be in glory. What can they do? Hate me? I'll be in glory. What can they do? Push against my wants and desires? I'll be in glory. Jesus says, none who are mine will perish. This is an absolute promise from Jesus. This is an incredible promise from Jesus. I mean, millions of martyrs have perished for the name or renown of Jesus, but hear me, none have been lost spiritually. None of them. They may be lost physically, but none of them have been lost spiritually. That's why he says, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. This is a promise. Those who are God's will endure to the end. This is nothing new. Who God saves, he keeps. Back in Matthew 10, he goes, hey, uh, those who make it to the end are those who endure because they're mine. So listen, if you have the indwelling Holy Spirit, if you've been sealed through the gift of what is the third person of the Trinitarian God, if you have been rescued by the blood-spattered cross that absorbed your wrath, took your sin, paid your debt, rose, he validated it by giving you his spirit, saying that's gonna uphold your profession all the way to the end through disasters, through persecution, through sin, through failings, through everything, you're gonna make it, not because you're awesome, you didn't author and perfect your faith. God authored and perfected your faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12, I am the author and perfecter of your faith. Listen, he did not save you and then go, hey, okay, figure the rest out and perfect this thing. He keeps you all the way to death and glory. That is a great promise for the Christian. You have nothing to fear because God keeps you. This is John 10. May my sheep know my voice, and everyone who I save, no one will snatch out of my hand. This is John 6. I will raise all who the Father gave me on the last day. That is an absolute promise. John 17, 11, All who have been revealed by my Father, I will save and secure till the end. Jesus alone keeps you, enables you to endure, so that by your endurance, your lives will be saved. It's not your endurance that saves you. It's your endurance that shows you've been saved. Oh, if I could encourage you, Christian, you're going to be fine. You're going to make it through governments, through disasters, through ISIS, through persecution, through sword. You're going to make it. It's a promise from the lips of Jesus. You will absolutely make it. You will absolutely endure. You will absolutely survive. Great word from Jesus. Romans 8. If you've been saved, forgiven, adopted by God, nothing's going to separate you from his love. You can look at promise after promise after promise. First Peter. Your inheritance is imperishing, undefiled. It's kept by God for you. So many places we could go. Once you're given salvation by God in Christ, you never hunger, you never thirst, you never perish, you're never lost. That's true about you. Saving faith can't fail. I want you to to hold on to that. 
Like saving faith is enduring faith. So friends, listen, I don't know if you're in a season right now or whether it's coming in the days ahead when your office will say you're fired, your spouse will say, I'm leaving. Your kids will say, I hate Jesus. The paramedics will call and say, it's cancer. It's an opportunity because you're going to endure. So you can bear witness and say, hold on a second. Here's who I am in Jesus. Here's what I have in Jesus. And let me tell you about Jesus. Because there are greater glories coming. There are greater days ahead. And the Bible says we see but yet dimly, right? We don't see it perfectly clearly. But he's given us what we need to know to endure so that our lives might be saved. Let's ask God for help. I want to give you guys a few minutes to reflect ask him for courage, to ask him whatever God is doing in your heart this morning. What is he saying to you? What is he encouraging you in? For the Christian, take some honest stock of your soul. Is my life truly submitted to Jesus Christ? There are Christians and non-Christians, not half-Christians. Do I live in such a way to where he is my God by action and Affection. For others of you who are Christians, maybe it's the, the sheer comfort and courage and security of Jesus' words to you this morning. That between the reconciliation and consummation of all things, you will endure. You will be okay. He will give you your speech. He will endure your life. You will bear witness you will be used as a vessel, an example of the Son of God. For those of you who are not a Christian, you have not placed your full weight and worth in the palm of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sin and newness of life. You can have this glorious great Jesus who speaks to you this morning right now. You can have him. He says, repent of your sin and turn to me as Lord. Bow your knee to him as your allegiance. See that he's a good, gracious king. That he says, all who come to me I will not cast out. And he says, turn from your sin that will enslave and turn to me who can free. And make him God of your life. And stop running to false gods. Stop running to the bottle. Stop running to the internet. Stop running to other relationships. Stop running to every other thing that you are desperately looking to find quenching from. And trust the one who says, when you drink from me, you will never thirst again. Father, thank you for your weight and worth. God, help us to believe these things that you've said this morning. God, help us to believe that we will be fine. God, help us not to cower in fear. In the days and months ahead, I pray we would be beautiful, winsome, 
bold representations of the true Jesus. That we would fight the fight by faith in the death of the Son and resurrection. That God, he would continue to be the thing that we depend on for what saves us and what keeps us and what sustains us all the way to the end. God, give us the perseverance that we need. God, give us the words that we need. I know some brothers and sisters are gonna leave this room today and they're gonna be confronted immediately with assault and with question. God, give them great grace and great courage and great joy in being hated because you were hated. Father, as we sing, as we worship, as we observe the Lord's Supper, may it be done in a way that brings great worship to you and great transformation to our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.